and welcome to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast from right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week and the occasional special announcement or series. You can visit vineyardchurch.us and select Springbrook from the menu to learn more about us or to access our audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. Our reading today comes from Romans 12, 1 through 8. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a person, a new person, by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measuring yourselves by the faith, measuring yourselves by faith God has given us. Is that right? Yep. Is that where I'm at? Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So, if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thanks be to God. Thank you. <laughs> you did great. Thank you. Thank you. Hey. Hello. <laughs> um, I just need to clear this up. I did not cuss at Lindsay backstage. <laughs> A lot of you don't know me, so you might believe that. But Lindsay is the cusser. Not me. <laughs> it is. Very true. So. I would argue, but can't. Um, Okay, so for Chris's first sermon, we felt like this is something we wanted to do together because um, we've actually been doing things together for a lot of years. Um, Chris was part of a Bible study for college-age people that uh, my husband Daniel and Johnny, our executive pastor, and I all uh, started that you and your friends came to where you led music. And then it led to, it was one of the things that we planted this church out of, which is kind of uh, amazing. Mm-hmm. I also like to think that I played a, a very crucial role in your marriage. Yeah, you kind of introduced me to my wife. So. I did. And, and, you, and, and I legally bound you to one another. Yeah, that too. By yeah, you did do our wedding. <laughs> the government giving me a power that's very scary. <laughs> yes. Also, you sent me a picture this week just as kind of proof of how long we've known each other. And I didn't tell you I was putting it in the slides, but... Oh, you did? I did put a picture in. I don't even know if you can see that, but that's me 
in my uh, new at the time Jeep with baby Graham and Campbell in the back. Look how tiny they are. Or as no I like to say. No seatbelts, I see. Yeah, no seatbelts. Yeah. <laughs> and actually that's baby Campbell and baby Daniel because Graham it looks <laughs> exactly like Daniel in that picture. It's so true. So, yeah. Been friends a minute. So, um, so that's why it made sense for us to do this first one together because we've been doing things together for, for quite some time. Um, we are unapologetically today, uh, g- we're going to do a three-point sermon like good preachers do. Um, and so, that, yeah, so that's our, our day. Yeah. Uh, we're also just kind of saying the same thing three times, I <laughs> feel are. like. So that's, uh, quick caveat, Which also though. is what three-point sermons are. Anyway, yeah. anyway we digress. Um, and... As I was kind of getting ready for today, I realized reading Romans is very different from teaching Romans. Um, I remember when you told me we were doing a series on Romans, I was like, oh, we got to do the whole book. And then you were like, well, we're going to do 12 because it's the only book that I understand. And then so the, the warnings were all there for me to humble myself. And I still, yesterday, whenever we were putting these speakers up, Dusty was like, you're on stage tomorrow talking about Romans? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, geez, how long have you been preparing for that? <laughs> And I was like, uh, well, maybe not long enough. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, before or as we kind of jump in, I want to explain an idea that we're really going to build on uh, for the rest of the sermon. Um, and it's this. It's an idea I use a lot personally. We use it sometimes on our staff as we're uh, talking about things. But years ago, I had um, a person that, like, coaches me on stuff. Uh, like, if I have a problem I'm trying to solve or an idea I'm trying to work out. And I'll talk to this person and... Um, in, in one of the conversations, I was like, I think I was presenting a problem of like, how do I fix this? And, and he was so great. He came back and he was like, okay, before we answer any questions, let's answer this one. What does done well look like in this scenario? And I was like, oh, I love that phrasing. Like, what does done well look like? Um, and I think maybe that's what Paul is talking about today in this little chunk that we're going to look at from Romans 12. Um, that he, he's talking about spiritual gifts, and he's kind of putting language on top of spiritual gifts. Um, and, and, he, and he's saying, what does done well look like when it comes to teaching? And what does done well look like with leadership? And what does done well look like with encouraging and giving and things like that? Uh, Like in the places where God has empowered us, I think Paul is asking, what does done well look like? So that's what uh, we're going to talk about today as we explore these verses, but we're going to really focus in on verses six through eight. Um, And we'll look at three places I think maybe the Spirit wants to encourage us in uh, done well. Um, But to do this, I think it builds on the last couple of weeks of where we've been in Romans 12. And we've talked about um, the language that Misty's already read today. We talked about what it means to live as a holy and living sacrifice, that we give all we know of ourselves to all we know of God. Uh, And that we do all of these things in view of God's mercy. That to me has been like the phrase of the summer. That um, all of these things come in view of God's mercy. Our gifts from God come in view of his mercy. Um, we, we talked really specifically about spiritual gifts recently, so we're not going to cover like the gifts, what they are themselves. But that uh, talk is available on our podcast. It's from May 14th. Um, and it was great. I wrote it. So it was going to be wonderful. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I do think we talk about spiritual gifts. So if you would like more information, it's there um, for May 14th. Um, but to begin our three-point sermon, uh, we want to start where Paul does. Where uh, Paul begins by talking about sacrifice uh, and our gifting. Yeah. Um, I think it's really important when we get to a passage on spiritual gifts or faith or grace or anything that we can really easily become sort of legalistic about or gatekeepers of historically, it's really important to look at the order things are happening in. Um, 
because telling the story out of order is how people have gotten really hurt or hurt others. Um, like in Exodus, God delivers his people and then he gives them the commandments. Um, Jesus is constantly inviting us into his mercy and grace and then saying, okay, now try this. Um, and the spiritual gifts in this passage have a very similar feel to that. So Paul starts to discuss these individual gifts with the shared understanding that we first have to let our lives be a sacrifice, a living death. Um, the Greek word Paul would have used here for sacrifice would have literally meant killing. So a living killing, um, kind of an oxymoron. Um, Lovely phrase. Yeah, a living killing. Let your lives be a living killing. Um, <laughs> And what that means to live as a Christian life is that you put to death the right to live life as we choose. Um, we put to death the idea that we belong to ourselves or that we know best what should happen in our lives. Um, you put it to death and you give it to God. And it really feels like a death to say, uh, you know best and I just trust you. Or you know best and here's what your word says and I might not even like it, but I'm going to do it. Um, I don't choose anymore. That feels like a death, but on the other side of that is life, um, and that is why it's a living, a living sacrifice. It's a, a sacrifice that leads to life. Um, I remember my freshman year of high school, I was introduced to the ministry of Young Life by Taylor Bilal. She's out here somewhere, I think. <laughs> she invited me, and immediately that night, I fell in love, and I was like, oh, I'm going to be a Young Life leader one day. I just, I'm going to be on staff one day. Uh, this is going to be my job. So when I got to college... I was praying and hoping all the time that God would help me to be a great young life leader so that I would get on staff. Um, and pretty much became my litmus test, like how I live my life. Uh, I would think, God, I'm going to give up control of my future. I'll pursue these friendships if it makes me a better leader. Or I'll go to this Bible study at 6 a.m. instead of some bar on the strip the night before if it makes me a great young life leader. I'll read your word if it makes me a great young life leader. And then one day... I went to my mentor's house, and I told him I wanted to be on staff, and he just sort of stared a hole through me. Uh, didn't even respond, totally changed the subject, and started telling me about how he snuck into a Memphis Grizzlies game faking a press pass. <laughs> like, just didn't even address my deepest desires <laughs> of my heart. And I left his house. I was mad and confused, and I was thinking, God, why is this not happening uh, for me? Like, I'm pursuing your will in my life. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to do ministry. And he sort of started to reveal to me that year that, oh, maybe I only think I've given up control of my life to God, but really I've just been letting it be a sacrifice to the other side of that if statement. Um, those were the things in my life that I was sort of sacrificing to. And none of them, good or bad, were God. They were just the things on the other side of that if. Um, and that's the thing. We're all sacrificing something in our lives anyways. So if you really think about it, there, there's something in your life and my life that's sort of this driving force. So when we get to Romans, Paul is kind of saying, if you believe everything that I've said in 11, 1 through 11 to be true about God, that he's our deliverer, our creator, that life is only found in him, then why not let our life be a sacrifice to him instead of, you know, UT football or something? Um, and I, that just hit too close to home to a couple yeah, people. Yeah. It hit too close to home to my dad, who was going to listen to this podcast. Um, but I'm, that sounds a little sarcastic, and it, and it sounds really trivial. But in reality, what isn't trivial in relationship to uh, our Creator? You know, 
So we doubt ourselves and then we can get down to the business end of spiritual gifts, not the other way around. Yeah, there's a transition um, when we get into verse 6 and 7 where Paul's explaining in verses 1 through 5 that there's work to be done on our inner lives. That's what we've talked about the last few weeks. And then he starts talking about gifts. And I think it's important when we're talking about gifts that we know that, that our gifts, they don't exist just like natural proclivities. They're not just like things we happen to naturally be good at. I think gifts from God are, are, are much bigger than that. They're things that um, maybe we're naturally good at, but they're also things that empower us in purpose uh, to live out who we're supposed to be in this world and in the kingdom of God. Uh, uh, we say a lot around here that we believe that we were made on purpose for uh, purpose, and our gifts are evidence that that is real, that God has made us on purpose uh, and, and for purpose. They're part of us, but they're also at the same time uh, something bigger than us. Uh, they are the tools that we show up uh, with to join God in the renewal of all things. And so there's sacrifice to be had if that's true. And, and there's the work of rethinking to be had if that's true. And there's the work of humility to be had if that's true. It, it isn't uh, that we don't get spiritual gifts if we don't die to ourselves. Or that we, we don't gift them if we don't do the inner work that Paul challenges us to do. I think what he's saying is that our gifts show up best when we've done the work. Our gifts show up best when they come out of a place of sacrifice. Uh, our gifts aren't dependent on a life of sacrifice. You can be a gifted teacher or giver or an encourager and have done no inner work at all. But, but Paul's talking about doing well, what done well looks like, how to do these things well. And done well requires some work. Uh, and maybe the best way to say it is this. Our gifts are most accessible to us and most accessible in the world around us uh, when we've prepped the foundation with sacrifice and with inner work. Yeah, so we sort of examine our lives where we live, work, learn, and play, and we start with a sacrifice. And then before we can move into the gifts, we have to make a quick stop at point two of our three-point sermon. And uh, center For all was, you note-takers out there, <laughs> yes, point number two. This is point two. We've arrived. <laughs> Um, and sort of center ourselves around the lens through which we view these gifts. And in Paul's letter, we see that lens is humility. Um, and I know what you're thinking. The sacrifice literally every part of my life thing is easy enough. So how bad could the humility part be? <laughs> um, well, how do we have humility when exercising our gifts? Verse 3 starts with Paul saying, because of the privilege. But I like the ESV version here better. It says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So how do we have humility? By remembering that everything we are and everything we have comes by grace alone. Um, and it's of God to begin with. They're gifts. They're not ours to begin with. Uh, Scottish theologian John Murray says this, One of the ways in which the design contemplated by the apostle is frustrated is by the sin of pride. Pride consists of coveting or exercising a prerogative that does not belong to us. No one is immune to exaggerated self-esteem. Super encouraging. <laughs> um, but in other words, yeah, our gifts are the gifts of or our gifts and the gifts of others really can't be burdened down by the sin of pride. It kind of makes things lose their luster. Um, in the kingdom of God, the outcomes don't belong to us anyways. So. Um, also, it's not just theologians that say this. Uh, psychologist and author Henry Cloud, he says, character traits supersede gifts, talents, and ability. 
Like, just like we can't uh, have the fullness of our gifts without sacrifice, we also uh, have, can't have gifts without character. They can't find their fullness without character being built in us. Because, again, we're talking about done well. Um, and I'm with Chris. I think a key part of our uh, done well of our gifting is um, working in the kingdom from a place of humility. So I want to define humility for us. Um, uh, if you've been around here, this is the same definition I use all the time. But years ago, uh, my friend Lindsay was in seminary to become a counselor. And she had this professor uh, named Hans Beyer, who's like an expert on Peter. He was this uh, tiny, brilliant man. And one day in class, he just like dropped the most brilliant definition of humility I've ever heard. And so, she, I mean, I remember her calling me after class and she was like, listen to this. I, I'd always heard humility defined as um, not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. I think that's Tim Keller maybe, but great definition. He's but, great. But this one's better. Um, um, and here's why I think this, because I heard this definition of humility and it hit me very hard uh, because it exposed something in me where I was like, oh, you know how you like, oh, that has to be true because it wouldn't feel like this if it wasn't true. This is it. His definition of humility is, he says, humility is allowing others. End of sentence. Humility is allowing others, meaning that when someone else does something wonderful, when someone else like sparkles and shines, uh, there is room for them to do that. Uh, humility considers that there is room for other people to flourish and other people to do well. It considers that flourishing isn't a zero-sum game. Uh, I, uh, so when Paul uh, says, if you're a teacher, teach well. If you're an encourager, encourage well. Lead well, serve well. Uh, do these with the kind of humility that also allows other people to do the same. Uh, to do well. The, the message version of, of this part uh, of Romans 12 and verse 6 is this. So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let us go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with, other, with each other or trying to be something that we aren't. Uh, living out the gifts of God for the good of the world means learning how to live who we were fully meant to be and at the same time making room for everyone else to get to live out who they were fully meant to be. Uh, I had a conversation with my kids this week because they uh, came on Graham Run cross country and their season is starting back and um, last year they did this incredible thing and they ran on the varsity team as freshmen, which is amazing. Um, but this year there are new people coming. Like there are eighth graders moving up. There are a couple new people who are joining the team. And so they're like, oh gosh, like these people are kind of fast. Like, um, because there are only seven spots. It is a zero sum game, right? Like there are only seven spots for varsity. I think sometimes we treat the gifts of God that way. Um, as something to compare rather than something to allow room for in ourselves and in other people. And when we do this, I think it pits us against other people rather than like binding us together for a mission. Uh, for many of us, it, convince us, it convinces us that our gifts are, are, aren't worth sharing because it's like, um, I might think that I'm kind of gifted in teaching, but there's so-and-so over there and they're a much better teacher than me. And so I'm going to let them uh, lead in youth or whatever, whatever, fill in the blank. Um, or, or I think maybe I'm kind of good at encouraging, but you know who's great at encouraging, so maybe I just won't do it. But here's the truth. Uh, no one is immune to pride. It was the quote that Chris read a second ago. No one is immune to pride, and we all panic at other people's gifting. As soon as there's something we think that we're good at, and we see someone else who's also or even more 
who's also good or even better at it than we are, we all have this panic in us. We all get in our heads, uh, think too highly of ourselves, to quote from Romans 12, or we convince ourselves that we aren't as good as someone else. Uh, But the truth is this. If you are so focused on someone else's gifting or so focused on someone else's standing uh, in the community, it will keep you from fully stepping into where God has called you and where God has gifted you and where God has empowered you. Also, that is self-empowerment. And what we're talking about here is a Holy Spirit empowering. And so when we're pitting ourselves against other people, that is how we turn the gift to be about us and not about the one who gave it to us. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the other kind of major loss with pride is that it gets in the way of the sort of natural diversity that the scripture is celebrating here. Uh, Paul is pretty clear that, A, we all have gifts, and B, that we aren't going to have the same gifts as one another. Uh, So if we're looking to our left and right, always sizing one another up, uh, we're, pretty, we're straight up impeding the way the Holy Spirit is trying to play out his gifting in our lives. So um, it's that simple, but it really isn't that simple. It's really hard not to compare. Um, John Murray, again, who I quoted earlier, says, Believers are not only members of one body, but also to one another. Diversity enriches each member because they have communion in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which God has dispensed according to his will. So, a quick hypothetical, how cool and, oh, yikes, uh, <laughs> no, how incredible would it be if we came to church with the mindset that the gifts God is pouring out onto us are meant to serve not only us, but the community around us? Um, how would our lives look if we believed that maybe the gifts God has given us are meant to reach someone, maybe someone in this room that no other person could? Um, or that God is working in our broken lives in exactly the, uh, what needs to be on display for our community to know the love of God a little more. I think that's uh, really something to think on. <laughs> um, and that's what diversity is supposed to look like. I think that's why encouraging one another is so critical um, to the model, if you yep. will. Okay, our last point, you note takers. Point number three um, is kind of a why for the sermon. Like, what does done well, like, why does it matter when it comes to the giftings of God? Um, and this is a really simple and I think unbelievably complex uh, part of the story. Uh, doing what we do well matters because uh, our gifts exist to show the goodness of God uh, in the world uh, and to show that goodness of the one who gives them and to work out his kingdom in the places uh, where we live, work, learn, and play, to put things back to right. Uh, Todd Hunter, who is an Anglican bishop, but also on the the Vineyard Executive Board, uh, he says this. He says, our existence and use of our giftings reveals an unseen spiritual reality in the seen and felt experience of the world. So read for that. Our gifts expose the goodness of God and his kingdom of hope and renewal in the places where we live and work and learn and play. Um, And I don't say that to add extra pressure. Uh, I say that to allow us to feel the weight um, of the gifting of God, that that when we show up somewhere, we show up as representatives of the unseen in the scene. Uh, We show up as representatives of the kingdom of God uh, in the world. Uh, Dusty and I were, Dusty's getting lots of FaceTime this morning, sorry, hey. 
Um, Dustin and I were talking this morning, and, and uh, he was like, hey, did you hear about this other brand new church scandal? Uh, and they're all over, right? Like, like I, I'm, again, it's not supposed to, to, to add weight, or I think it is supposed to add weight, but not pressure that we show up as representatives of the kingdom of God. And, and the church hasn't always done that. Um, I wonder this, have you ever worked with or, or gone to school with like the really lazy Christian? Um, like, and, and I don't mean this judgmentally because I have been this person many a time, um, but it's the person who like talks about their faith a whole lot, but then, um, cuts corners on their work or pawns their work on on other people or like cuts corners on their timesheets or things like that. Um, they, they work the system entirely in their favor. Um, but they also have a lot of Psalms on their coffee cups at the same time. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, we are representatives of the kingdom of God. Done well, I think, matters because we represent God's goodness into the world. That's not pressure. I think that's how highly God sees us. That I think he has allowed us to have purpose, to, to walk into the places where we live, work, learn, and play with purpose. He sees us uh, that highly that he would allow us to be his representatives. Um, doing well doesn't save us. It, it can't. That's the free work of Jesus. But Paul's uh, challenge to do well, um, it, it's not in order for us to earn some favor with God. It is because of how much God favors us. Uh, and so we lead well, and we serve well, and we give well, and we teach well. Yeah, I think of it in terms of servant leadership. Um, if you start to look for ways to become a living sacrifice where you live, work, learn, and play, like you mentioned, um, you just can't help but become a servant. It's just going to naturally happen. And I know that the word servant doesn't, it doesn't tend to give me like the most warm and fuzzy feelings inside. Um, and that could be a pride thing, kind of like we discussed. Or I think that could also just be a lack of understanding of, of um, the ones we're serving. So I have to think about what biblical servant leadership means. And when I do, I'm, I'm always reminded of the story of Mary and Martha when Jesus enters the home. And Martha's right in the middle of doing her best to live out what she thinks servanthood looks like. And meanwhile, Mary is just kind of sitting at the feet of Jesus listening. And Jesus responds, um, Dear Martha, are you, worried? you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. So in our servant leadership, we have to sort of ask ourselves, are we uh, trying our best to usher God's will onto earth, or are we trying our best to uh, exercise our own, I think? Which I think kind of shifts the way that we think about gifts. Yeah. Uh, because so much of our lives is based on outcomes. Like we do things in order to produce a certain result, right? And, and I think that you can argue that when we uh, use our giftings well, uh, we do bring about the kingdom of God. But the reality is that Paul doesn't lay out any specific outcomes in Romans 12 for us using our gifts. He doesn't say, do these things well so that other people will do things well. He doesn't uh, actually talk about outcomes at all. He simply says, do these things well. Paul, for Paul, done well is not outcomes-based. It is obedience-based. Uh, Paul's not saying, um, if your gift is serving, serve others um, so that they will then serve you in return. Or if your gift is giving generously, give, give generously with the expectation of your investment to um, come to full fruition. He says, in view of God's mercy, do well. 
not to earn, not to put yourself in some sort of right standing, but to do well because it's who you are. It's because of how he sees you, because of how valuable you are to the one who made you. Yeah. So uh, we're going to come to the table for communion in just a minute. But before we do that, we're just going to take a couple of minutes. Uh, we call it Selah here to just pause and think about how all of this plays out in our lives. Um, maybe how pride is getting in the way of recognizing our gifting or gifting around us, or maybe even what gifts we think we've been blessed with, because I think that's sort of cool. Um, and I know being a living sacrifice seems super intimidated, intimidating and even impossible, because in some ways it maybe is. So I think it's important to know this isn't just a challenge, but it's an invitation. Um, into all of the fun. And, and we can look at it like that. Our, we give our lives to God in hopes to even get a glimpse of what's act, what life is actually meant to be like. Um, I think Tim Keller says it best when he, I, I watched a sermon he did on this, and he says this. He says, take your hands off of your life to become a living sacrifice to the one who took his hands off his life to become a dying sacrifice. When he took his hands off his life at the cross, he fell into nothingness. When we take our hands off our life, we fall into his. Um, and if we can't find comfort and encouragement in the cross, then I don't really know where we can. So let's just kind of take a moment to, um, to think about that and the invitation that is offered. I'm going to pray for us and bless it. Jesus, thank you uh, for this morning. And thank you for the space. And I just pray in these next few minutes, would you do a couple of things? Would you reveal, like help us to know um, where you've gifted us. What, what is in us that comes from you that empowers us in purpose? And I pray also that um, you would show us maybe places where um, we're calling something humility, but really we're just comparing ourselves to other people. Or we're like downplaying things that you have put in us and gifted us with um, because we're intimidated to take them out into the world. So I just pray that you would show us these things, that you would meet us there, that you would empower us in purpose. In your name we pray. Amen.